Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The, cho the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You may be seated. So this is the second to last message in our series, God is Stranger, that uh, we said in the very beginning was going to be a, a, a long series, but I don't know about you, it hasn't really felt that way to me. Each week has been packed with a lot of interesting things that helping us dive deeper. And so my hope is that you have uh, gained maybe a little bit more confidence in tackling some of the unhighlighted parts of the Bible and welcomed and opened yourself to new and challenging ways, perspectives of God and ways of, of looking at the faith. I hope that that's what this series has done for you. Not just looking at the stranger parts of the scriptures, but being open to stranger parts of God and how God is characterized in ways that maybe we haven't considered before. And so I hope that that was part of your uh, experience here over these last uh, several weeks. And uh, we're, we're nearing uh, a close uh, to that. One of the other secondary themes in this series has been the theme of hospitality. To not only be, not only to welcome the stranger in our midst, but to welcome the stranger, the stranger God. And so today's message in looking at Jesus and the stranger might sound strange to you because, hey, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the center of our faith. Jesus is the, the, the center figure, central figure of the Christian faith as it, um, as it should be. And a lot of us, you know, we've heard, we've been in church maybe a long time, maybe our whole lives, and we've heard Jesus over and over and over again. We've learned all the stories. We know all the words. And so for many of us, maybe we might think, oh, well, we have kind of Jesus down pat. We kind of got that. That's not really an unhighlighted part uh, of the Bible. But I want to explore something with you that might, uh, if, if with a careful look and allowing ourselves to settle into some of these different ideas would 
would be kind of a strange aspect to Jesus. And not so much the life of Jesus. Uh, Last week I talked about some really difficult words that Jesus had given in uh, Matthew chapter 25. Um, There are lots of different parts of Jesus' life that do seem strange or a little bit harder to tackle. You remember that story where Jesus spit on the dirt and made mud and caked it over the guy's eyes and then the blind man he could see? I mean, that's just one example. There's all kinds of those different strange examples that that we could look at. But, But what I'd like to maybe wrestle and tackle with with you here this morning is the strangeness of the cross. Now, that sounds a little bit weird, maybe because we're so used to seeing crosses. The cross is the hallmark symbol of our, of our Christian faith. We have it everywhere in our, our sanctuaries. We have it outside of our, our building here, and you see them everywhere. In fact, I'm, I'm wearing a cross around my neck. I usually do each day. This is a necklace that was given to me by my, by my parents who are here this morning, and on the back has a little blessing uh, that God would give me, protect me and give me strength, and I wear that where, wherever I go, and um, I think it looks kind of cool. It's a little ornate. I lost the stone in the middle. I don't know what happened there. Sorry, Mom. Um, and I've gotten some other crosses um, that have been given to me. Um, this is a cross that was given to me. I don't, I don't really wear it a whole lot, but it's something I, I keep in my office there. And Isn't that kind of cool? And then I have a cross that used to belong, I think, to my grandmother or grandfather. I have it hanging on my a rearview mirror in my car, and it kind of dangles there to remind me. And I see crosses. You see them on monuments. Uh, my sister invited me over to her house and community pool yesterday, and I saw a big old cross tattooed on a guy's leg. I mean, we, some of you might have those cross tattoos on you. I don't know. But the, we're used to seeing a cross in a more ornate fashion. We're used to seeing a cross that's sort of beautified in some sort of way to, to make it look pleasant to the eye, to make it look uh, good to, to, to look at. That's how we're used to seeing crosses. And we forget in the beauty of the crosses, we forget that this was the exact instrument of Jesus' torture and execution. Seems strange. If, if you were an outsider, you're kind of asking questions, you know, what's this cross all about? Oh, that's where Jesus died. Then why are you wearing it around your neck? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And so in that Sometimes we don't appreciate, because we've been in church a long time, we, we don't appreciate the strangeness of that particular idea. But there is a power, there is a beauty, there is a, a sense of glory with the idea of the cross. And that's why we beautify these crosses, why we wear them, that's why maybe we tattoo them, not me, but maybe some of us tattoo them on our, on our legs or body or whatever, because we do sense a great deal of power there, a, a sense of beauty, a sense of, of, of glory. Uh, theologian R.C. Sproul, he said it this way. He said, the most obscene symbol in human history is the cross. And yet it's, in its ugliness, it remains the most eloquent testimony to human dignity. And so there's this paradox there with the cross uh, that we're going to talk about today that in many ways can seem strange to us. We're going to look through that. A little bit. And, and this strangeness really comes out in an interaction that Jesus has with two thieves, uh, two criminals that, that is executed alongside of Jesus on, on both of his, his sides. And, and the one, he has different interactions with each one. And, and the first one, he has this uh, interaction with a, with a thief or a criminal that begins to sort of mock uh, in the same way that the others around him were mocking and 
and, and, making, and making fun of him. It says in Luke chapter 23, this is where we are. If you have a Bible, you want to open it. Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And from a human standpoint, a human point of view, this accusation kind of makes a lot of sense. Aren't you God? I mean, aren't you divine? Don't you come straight from God? Don't you have powers that are normal, that are outside of what, what would be normal for a human being? Why are you subjecting yourself to, to death and death and torture on a cross. This is not for gods. This is not for the divine. This is for mortals. This is for humans. We are the ones that die, not, not gods. Gods don't die. What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. Are you not the Messiah? Why, don't, why are you not saving yourself? Oh, and by the way, if you're gonna save yourself, why don't you save us along with you since we're here with you as well? It's a strange thing. We talk about it so, so, so commonly that we forget the strangeness that, that our God died. Why? Why would a God subject himself? Why would God decide to subject himself to this kind of torture and, and death? And when we're reminded of this question, we're also, and the, thief, the criminal hits on this too, why, are we, why do we die? Why do we have to go through this as well? We're confronted with this in, our, in the face of our own death and, and suffering and, and pain. And as much as we would understand this as the common mortal experience, it, to be human is to die. For every one of us, at some point, our, our time on this earth will, will expire. It's something that we commonly know in our minds. We understand that each of us have an expiration date. It's just how it works. And that to suffer along with it, suffering and pain is a part of the human experience. We're all gonna face it in some form or fashion, some greater than others, but still have it. So suffering and pain and death, it's all so common in the human experience, and yet when it happens to us, we are totally caught by surprise. When it happens to us, we're, there's something within us that's, it's not supposed to be this way. I don't like this. This is, this is not a good thing. I was reminded of this when, a couple years ago, when my, my wife's grandmother, my son's great-grandmother, died, and they had sort of, they had a relationship, but they weren't extremely close, and she had lived a long life. She, she was in her 90s, but she passed away, and my son was confronted with death for the first time, and he was asking all kinds of really good questions about death, about why these things sort of happen. And for him, he, he really captured this, this sense that, that I think we all feel at times. Wait, why does she have to die? Why? It's not, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like it's supposed to, supposed to happen. And he captured what we go through all the time. Why am I going through this? Why do I have to face this? And we don't want to hear, well, that's what it means to be human. If I gave you that advice as a, as a pastor, you'd probably walk out of my office. You don't want to hear that, but we all know it. And yet there's something within us. This isn't right. 
This isn't the, the way it's supposed to be. And so many times, maybe you found yourself praying the same words that this, this criminal on the cross gives to Jesus. Aren't you God? Aren't you more powerful than the pain and the anguish that I'm going through? Why are you not doing something about the evil in the world? And while you're at it, why are you not helping me in the process? What's with you, God? Aren't you, aren't you God after all? Don't you have this power? And yet in the question, why won't you save yourself and us? This criminal on the cross, he doesn't understand what Je that Jesus is doing that very thing. He's in the process, he's in the act of doing that very thing of saving humanity. You see, God's salvation, and while it doesn't help sometimes in, or solve all of our problems with death and decay and suffering and pain and anguish, we, we understand something very powerful in the very fact that, that Jesus' salvation came not only through the suffering on the cross, but came alongside those thieves. That somehow in the midst of our own suffering, that somehow in the midst of our own anguish and pain, and when we are faced with death, we know and we can be confident that God knows. He, he understands. He understands what we're going through. I know sometimes that doesn't necessarily take it away. It doesn't solve all of our, our problems and our grief and our despair. But I, I've seen so many times how the shepherding and the comfort of the Lord visits and, and ministers to people even in their deepest pain. I, I knew a pastor one time who spent so much time out of all the, the things that he needed to do, uh, spent so much time visiting the sick and, and the dying and the, and the shut-in. And I asked him, well, why, why do you spend so much time you know, doing that? And he said, you know, those individuals and the families around them are more open to God than any other time in their life. When, when they're faced with their own mortality, when they're faced with death, and he gets to participate in God's shepherding work that surrounds people in the midst of their grief and their suffering and their pain, and I've seen that too. I've seen amazing things as I minister to people that are in the midst of, of death and, and dying and, and suffering and, and pain. And so somehow, while on one hand it doesn't necessarily take it away, there is a great power in knowing that Jesus' salvation came through, precisely through the suffering on the cross. But there was another criminal next to him, and he chastised the one for his perspective. And he offers a different perspective, and it says here in 23, uh, 40 and 41, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed have been condemned justly for what we're getting, what, for what we're getting for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. It's easy for us in reading this story of thinking about the thieves on the cross as another. 
I mean, you might be a thief. I don't know. You might be a thief. Uh, you might have spent some time in jail. You might have felt the, the weight of condemnation from an actual judge in a courtroom. Or maybe you just feel condemnation from a spiritual condemnation or from, from other people around you and you feel the weight of that. But it's easy for us to think of ourselves as different from the thief on the... Well, those were the, those were the bad guys, right? Those were the ones that, you know, they were really far out there. And isn't it amazing that Jesus saves them too? And we fail to see ourselves in this story. And I think the scriptures are inviting us to do just that. See, Christianity is unique. And there are lots of different religions in the world. And many of them operate on a, a merit-based system. That the eternal place of, of glory and heaven and beauty and all of that, that's, that's set aside for the good people, whatever that might mean. And then there's this other place, too, the bad place. And that's for the bad people, you know, whatever whatever that might mean, and we come up with our own definitions of what a good person, or maybe we don't even know, but we just know that we're not a bad person. And we kind of draw the line in the sand, and we say this is where, this is where that goes. But Christianity is unique in, in saying that no, we're all a part of, of the problem. First of all, we, we all can't escape death. Death and and decay and, and suffering, it's all a, a shared part of the human experience. We all are going to become faced with our own, uh, the end of our own lives or faced with our own mortality. It's going to happen for each of us. It doesn't matter what kind of prestige or riches or power you might have on this earth. All of you will face that fact. None of us can step outside of that truth. That our time as human beings will, will come to an end. And, and, and scripture really describes not only this truth, but the connection that it has with the pain and the anguish that's caused, the harm that is caused by, by other people. And we know this and we feel this, right? Everybody would say, well, I'm not a perfect person. You say you're good, but you're not a perfect person. Well, I'm not a bad person. Each person here would say, well, I'm not sinless. I mean, nobody's, come on, nobody's, nobody's perfect here. And yet when we ask God to do something about the evil in this world, the injustices of this world, we don't think that we play a part. And yet we, the truth is we cannot step outside of that truth. You see, the scripture describes for us that we have been born, we all have been born into a corrupted world, that while we were made in the image of God, we were born into a world, a corrupted world, and that sooner or later, we will be both victims and perpetrators of the brokenness that we experience in this world. And if that's hard to believe, think about a murderer who stands on trial, Every murderer who stands on trial has some kind of advocate, some good, some not so good, has some kind of advocate that tries to portray a story of why they were a victim before they were a perpetrator. That maybe they grew up in a home that was violent. Or maybe they came from a, a state of brokenness. Or maybe they have a mental condition that led them to, to their crime. Or maybe there's all kinds of different circumstances. 
And the truth is, there's a paper trail for all of the evil in this world. All the harm done by one person or another has a paper trail. And when you collect all of it, we realize that we all have a, a role to play in some of it. We, none of us can step outside of the harm and the brokenness of this world. We all play a part. We are all both victims and perpetrators of brokenness in this world. And so we all stand in need of a Savior. And so while it's easier for us to create a bit of distance between us and the thief and the cross, we look at this interaction, and I hope that when we realize our own sin and we realize our own brokenness, we, we find ourselves. But here's the cool thing, that while none of us are truly innocent, we are also in the very place to utter the words while Jesus hangs on the cross, remember me, and that's what the thief says. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Keep me in mind while you sit in your glory and your victory. Keep me in mind. Don't forget about me. The Bible talks about this aspect of sin and the corruption of this world, um, specifically in Romans 5, 12 to 14. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. We all are part and have a sharing in the brokenness of this world, but we all get to utter the same words that the thief uttered to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus promises paradise for this thief, for this criminal. And in that we are reminded that no matter how good we think we are and no, no matter how much we think we have deserved the paradise that is to come, we realize that when we get there, we'll be in company with murderers and thieves and broken people and despised people and the other. We'll all be sharing in that victory. All of us who turn to Jesus and say, remember me, remember me. Krish Kandai, in the book, God is Stranger, he explains it this way. He said, the exchange shows us that the cross of Christ is a story of incredible grace. At the heart of the atonement is divine hospitality, where God invites the undeserving and unexpected to come home with him. Praise God for his hospitality to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and welcomed us home. In this, we find these powerful words of Jesus that, that says that you, to the thief, you will be with me in paradise. I've grown up in the, in the church and I've been around this movement, this idea, of, I'll just use air quotes, evangelicalism, and I use air quotes because I mean it not in the political sense, but in the way that I was trained in seminary, which is to be people of the gospel. 
and I've been trained in this, 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 this movement and, and I've had thousands of conversations and thoughts around this idea of, of per, a person turning their hearts over to God. And I've experienced it. When I was uh, later in my elementary years, I remember traveling with a group of people down to Cincinnati and sitting in a stadium to hear some guy named Billy Graham talk. And he got up and he preached and he offered this invitation. And I don't know, I wasn't even thinking. I just found myself starting to go down these steps. I remember, oh, there were so many steps. We had the nosebleeds. I walked down all these steps and there are thousands of people coming onto this, 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 this stadium floor. And a guy came up to me and we began to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And I've had all these different conversations about what it means to get to heaven. And I've heard all kinds of people talk about what it means to accept Jesus so that I can get to heaven or maybe avoid hell. And I have to say, you know, we as evangelicals, we've missed the boat on a couple of things. It's very easy for us to talk about ourselves as a very individual culture. And I fear that when we look at the, uh, of the promises of Jesus to the thief here, we, we tend to think of ourselves and, and what our eternal place would be. But there's so much more. Listen, there's so much more happening in this scripture. There are two things I think we generally miss the boat on that we don't talk enough about. One is the kingdom of God. We don't talk about the kingdom of God as much as we should. It seemed to be Jesus' favorite sermon topic. And we also don't talk about reconciliation. That while we were in our sin, we had been estranged from God. And yet the very act of Jesus on the cross was an act of reconciliation. God rejoining with us in covenant, in relationship with him. It's a reunion, it's a reunification that, that happens between two estranged parties, all done by the grace of God, expressed fully by Jesus who sacrificed himself on the cross. We, when we turn to Jesus and we receive his promises, we have been reconciled back to God. And there's such a power in that. We, we're reminded that even in our darkest moments, even when in our own poverty, even in our weakness, that while we have been reconciled, we then have the opportunity to offer that reconciliation to others, to the thieves around us and among us. Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And all of this is not from us. It's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. This is a cool part, ready? So we are all ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
as much as we are beneficiaries of the extravagant grace and mercy of our Lord. We are ambassadors to share that message, to share the good news to the thieves around us. And it is worth sharing because it is for the thieves that Jesus died as well. The ministry of reconciliation. Been reminded of this recently. A few weeks back, Pastor Steve and I had a talk about our different roles and how we can be best used at the church and the different needs. And we decided that it would be a good idea for for me to be a pastoral presence at our Celebrate Recovery Ministry on Monday nights, 6.30, if you're ever wondering. And I'm not a person who has I'm familiar with recovery and not been in recovery. I don't come from, you know, a background like that. And I don't see myself necessarily as a, having a, an addictive personality. So I kind of came in saying, okay, well, I'm going to go in to, to kind of help those people. <laughs> but there was something that really strange that was happening during this time. We'd have this little lesson. And afterwards, my friend Scott would come up. And we would do this sort of little celebration where people would come forward and they would take these little poker chip thingies. And it would be a reminder of the victory that they have, the long-standing victory that they have in their recovery process. And there's different colors for the length of time that they've remained in recovery. And it's so cool because it's totally without judgment. It's only celebration for anyone who cares to come forward for whatever reason. But me... You know, I started to feel a little restless. And usually when I feel restless, maybe God's saying something to me. And I went through all the thoughts and all the process and praying to God. And God, that's, that's not for me. And besides, even if it were for me, I'm a pastor. Okay? They don't know what I'm coming up for, but they can use their imagination. And that's how rumors get started. And before we know it, there's a crisis in the church. <laughs> and... And I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to be a part of that. And besides, you know, I. I don't have. Uh, I, maybe this is just my. My issues are kind of trivial, and oh, that's. It's not worth that. But then these words that my friend Scott kept saying. And he says it every week when he introduces this. He says, "This is a symbol of your own personal surrender to God." And I couldn't back out of that. I couldn't see myself standing outside of those words. Those words were for me. And so, two weeks ago, I got myself a blue chip. <laughs> I heard it. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. That's, our, that's our thing, yeah. And what I'm realizing is, is that what Jesus does for people Jesus also does for me. And what Jesus does in me, Jesus also does in others. And then there's a solidarity and there's a unity between me and people that maybe they differ in so many different ways. And yet we are unified in the one thing. We stand in need of Jesus. Uh, Victor Hugo, who, who wrote Les Miserables, um, incredible story of grace. But he says this, Great perils have this beauty that they bring to light the fraternity of strangers. <laughs> and there's this commonality, there's this unity that happens uh, with each of us. 
who are holding our chips. And so guess what? Now, as a sign of my faith, I, I wear a cross around my neck and I carry a chip in my pocket. <laughs> and it reminds me of who Jesus has been, what he's done, what he continues to be, and what he will be when I stand with him in glory. There's a saying, it's been one of those sayings that people have been trying to argue as to who said it first. A lot of people say it was Martin Luther who simply said, we are all beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And so my invitation to you today is to come into the presence of Jesus Christ who suffered on a cross to die that we could be reconciled to God and that whatever you've been going through, whatever you have been doing, whatever, whoever you've been, your invitation, just like it was in the days of the Last Supper where the disciples sat around that table with Jesus and Jesus explained to them what he was about to go through. It was their invitation in that moment to enter into that same suffering. That in Christ's suffering, it is our suffering. And in our suffering, it is Christ's suffering. And we enter into it together. And by the coattails of Jesus Christ, through his victory, we also stand in victory, reconciled to God. And so I invite you to partake of the bread and of the cup. And this is, communion is not, this or communion is not a, a friend's church table. It's not a table necessarily of our denomination. It's or membership or anything. It's simply a table that's open to those who want to surrender their hearts to same, utter those same words that the thief did. Lord, remember me. Remember me. It's interesting that these are the words of the thief on the cross, remember me, and at the Last Supper, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So that's our invitation here this morning. Our ushers are gonna come forward and then they're gonna pass out uh, unleavened bread, and if you have your um, wafers, uh, your gluten-free wafers, you can pull those out as well. As they're passed around, I invite you to hold on to them so that we can share and partake together. Because while we are reconciled to God, it's not an individual experience and it's not private. We share it together. We're reconciled between one another as well. And I'll give some instruction and we'll share the bread together and then after that, the cups will be shared and we'll do the same thing with the, with the cups. And in all of this, our invitation, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Let's pray together. Holy God, bless and sanctify this moment that we would commune with you. And in so doing, commune with one another because we are all just beggars looking for bread. We are sitting at your feet in full surrender. And in that we stand and join together and claim victory in you. Thank you for this moment and this time. In Jesus' name.
this is the body of Christ, the bread of life. Take and eat.
This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, bind and seal the work that you do within us, that wherever we go, whatever we face, we know that you live within us. Your power and your strength lives within us. The victory of the cross is within us. Thank you, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, for those of you that maybe this particular Good Friday message meant something and tugged on your heart, I just want to remind you that we're going to have a baptism Sunday on August 25th, and there's uh, information on the guest services desk about what baptism might mean, and there's a way for you to sign up, and you're not signing on the bottom line to do that. You're just simply signing up to have a conversation. We can talk more about um, what you think, you know, what God is doing in your life and, and why baptism might be important for you in this in this time. So I invite you to, to explore that as you're thinking through what God is doing in your heart and you know all kinds of other ways to be ambassadors. And specifically this week um, with our, our Vacation Bible School, you'll notice in the program there's a few more needs we have uh, for, for people to uh, step up to the plate and, and to be ambassadors for our, our children to show uh, and, and reveal the gospel to them. So I invite you to just take a look at that and pray about it, see what might um, be an opportunity uh, there for you. Um, but as you go, I, I pray that this time, um, this, this moment, what you've experienced with God would, would rest within you and sort of take up residence within you. That this idea of, of being reconciled to God would, would really bless you with love and with joy and would really propel you to be an ambassador and to seek the reconciliation between others and God that maybe God has put in your life, people that are naturally in your life that may be estranged from God and you have a unique opportunity to be an ambassador, to represent his love. So go in that love, go with that commission, go in his peace in Jesus' name.